Last week we looked at saw Jesus' sovereignty over the time of his persecution and pain, or the period. Uh, we looked at Jesus' sovereignty over the place of his persecution and pain. And we looked at Jesus' sovereignty over the people who were involved in his persecution and his pain. Um, we talked about sovereignty, and, and I don't know if I defined it last week, so I thought I'd do that today. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, that, that's an attribute or a characteristics about God. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we see it in scriptures. Um, but I've, I have a book at home um, by a guy named Roger Olson, uh, and he defined the sovereignty of God as this. God is in charge, and you can pretty much stop right there. That's what the sovereignty of God means. God's in charge. God's in charge and intentionally, deliberately, and powerfully guides nature and history. God is in charge and he intentionally guides, he deliberately guides, and he powerfully guides nature. Anything that happens in nature, talk about the weather, uh, talk about uh, natural circumstances, phenomenon, God intentionally, it's purposeful. He deliberately, it's something that he actively is doing. And with all the power that he has, he guides the nature and he also guides history. All the events that happen in our lives and the lives of those we know and the lives of those we don't know over the history of mankind, everything that happened, God intentionally guided it. He deliberately guided it. And he was still in control with his power as he guided it, such that his will always ultimately triumphs in and through nature and history. So we talk about the sovereignty of God. God's will always and ultimately triumphs. And sometimes in spite of what we do, what happens, God's will always triumphs. The sovereignty of God is his right and his power to do all that he decides to do. God is sovereign. Along with the sovereignty of God is also a concept that we see in scripture uh, called providence. When we heard the term providence, it's another Christian, Christianese word that you hear, but you see it in scripture. When we talk about providence, it's taking, it's pretty much saying that the sovereignty of God the fact that he's in charge and he intentionally, purposely, and deliberately guides everything that happens in nature history. God's providence has to do with wise and purposeful sovereignty. So providence means that God has the power and is in charge and he is doing it with wisdom and with purpose. That's what providence is. And so as things happen, we're in the providence of God. We're in God's control intentionally, powerfully, deliberately, with wisdom and a purpose to what's happening. And his purpose will come out to the end. Where does the scripture say that, Olu? I'm glad you asked. Get your Bibles ready. I need one, two, three, let's say one, two, three, four people. Somebody turn to Isaiah 45, seven. Isaiah's in the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah 45, seven. Someone turn to Isaiah 46, 10. Somebody else turn to Job 42.2. Job 42.2. Somebody else turns to Psalms 22.28. So we've got Isaiah 45.7, 
Raymond's probably going to throw them on the screen. <laughs> so, <laughs> Isaiah 45.7, someone else, Isaiah 46.10, someone else, Job 42.2, and someone else, Psalms 22.28. Talk about the sovereignty of God and God's providence, his purposeful, wise sovereignty. Okay, who, who's got Psalms 45.7? Mm. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. We can end the message right here and I'll go home. God, I, I, love, I love when God brags on himself. I, I, I love that. We, we, we in the hip-hop community call talk that talk. When rappers talk that talk. Drake likes to do that a lot. Jay-Z likes to do that a lot. Where they, where they talk about what they got, what they who they are, where they are. I love when God talks that talk, because he, every once in a while he reminds us, because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we think we're in charge. Sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we get stressed out. Sometimes we start getting, getting worried. We get anxious. We start getting depressed. All of those are attributes of us thinking that God is not in charge. Every single one of those are an attribute of us thinking that God's not in charge. Oh man, God don't know what he's doing. Ah, oh, now I'm gonna stress about this. Oh, man, God ain't got this. This thing happened out the blue. Oh, no. God isn't sovereign. That's, that's, that's a direct attribute of that. So every once in a while, God reminds us in Scripture. He said, by the way, I form the light and I create the darkness. Now, you can take that as light and darkness, or we can take it as light when things are going great or darkness when things are terrible around us. God says, I make success. It ain't you. It ain't your goodness. It ain't your wisdom. It ain't your smarts. It ain't your hard work, your work ethic. God says, I create success, and I also create disaster. Oh, no. I don't like that. That don't feel good. That doesn't fit my theology. Nice God wouldn't do that. God said, don't get it twisted. I also create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. Who's got 4610? Isaiah 4610. Yes, ma'am. Mm. My plan will take place and I will do all my will. <laughs> he talking that talk. He talking that talk. Like, I don't, I don't know what you thought. I like to go back to verse uh verse six. Uh verse eight. Let's look at verse eight. I like I like when he does this. God, this is God talking. He says, remember this and be brave. Whatever you go through. Remember this. God said, remember this. And when you remember it, be brave. What, what should I remember and be brave, God? Remember what happened long ago. For I am God and there is no other. <laughs> I am God and no one else is like me. Don't get it twisted. Okay. I declare the end from the beginning. What do we do? We look at the beginning and we watch it go through all the way through the end. God said, that's cute. He said, I declare the end from the beginning. Before we get to the end, I've already declared it. It's already happened. Okay? I've already, I already know what's going to happen. 
And from long ago, what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. If God wants it done, it's going to happen because he's sovereign. Who's got Job 42 too? Yes, ma'am. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours hmm. can be thwarted. This is Job at the end of all that stuff. You know the story of Job, all the stuff he went through. All those things. I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. That's a hard time saying that word. God's plan can't be destroyed, messed up. Oops, got you, God. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Why? Because he's sovereign. He creates the light and the darkness. He creates the success and the failure and the disaster. I'm sorry, and the disaster. Think of the most disastrous thing that's happened in your life. Got it? God said, I did that. I created that. I knew at the end of your disaster what was going to happen before it happened because it was in my plans. Why? Because I'm God and I work these things out for the goodness of my plan and my will to be done. So be brave. Be brave through your disaster because I've worked it out. God said, it's me. My plan, my will, I don't understand. It don't make sense. That's okay. Because guess what? You're not God. He said, I'm God. There is none like me. Don't, don't try it. Don't try to figure it out. Don't trust me. Be brave. Job went through all that he went through. And we know Job, his wife, his, all his children were killed. One night, every single one. Dead, 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 dead. His health. Done. Enemies, friends, all that done. Folks came, dude, like what have you done? God just don't do this. Satan himself. Yo, God, let me get to Job. <laughs> Think about that. Let me get to Job. And all of a sudden, we talk about the stuff that he went on earth. In heaven, Satan was like, let me get at Job. And God was like, all right. Why? Because God knew the end from the beginning. God knew that his plan was always going to happen. God knew that he was God. There was none like him. So Satan, do what you will. I'll let you do that. Because I'm, and even in that, I'm still God. Uh, Psalms 22, 28. Psalms 22, 28. Who had that one? Somebody can read off the screen if you don't got it yet. Here it comes. Bam. Just perfect timing. Kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nation. He rules the nation. Who do you think king? Who do you think president? Mm -hmm. who, who, who do you think is in charge of the nation? God's like, that's cute. That belongs to me. That office of president, that office of king, that office of queen, that office of whatever you want to call it, that belongs to me because I'm the one who rules it. Turn to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, um, verse, starting at verse 25, this is Paul, and he's talking to, uh, Paul is doing his missionary journey. He's going from city to city, from, from, from town to town, from country to country. 
talking to the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, telling about Jesus. And in uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 25, um, let's go to 24, of course. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord. That word Lord there means master or ruler of heaven and earth. Does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands all as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality, nationality to live under the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Paul told him, he says, I want you to understand that God is the one who gives everyone life and breath. And not only that, he made everything and he appointed the times and the boundaries where you live. God specifically said, David Loiza shall be born in 1978 in the 305. His mother shall be, his father shall be. He's not going to be born in Colorado. He's not going to be born in Columbia. He's going to be born in the 305. And here is the area that he's going to occupy at least up to he's 44 years old. He's going to occupy this area. The Bible says he carves out the boundaries. He, he, he knows where you're going and where you're going to go because he's carved those out. Because he's in charge. We talk about God's sovereignty, his providence. Um, a, a lot of theologians have different points of view about it. They try to explain it different ways. Um, that's a whole nother Bible study. There's, a, there's an idea of meticulous providence that says that whatever happens in nature or history is completely exhaustively willed by God, not just permitted by God, but it's willed by God. And it has its pros and its cons. And there's a limited uh, providence. The limited providence is actually talking about self-limited. It says that God is sovereign over everything, but he made a decision to give you a free will to decide what you want to do. But because God is so God, <laughs> that with your free will and the choices that you make, don't shake him up at all. Because he still knows the end from the beginning. Because he's already carved out the boundaries and the times. Um, uh, 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 Tozer, our friend Tozer explains that one. He says, pretend you are on a cruise ship and we're on a cruise ship to uh, uh, the Bahamas. The cruise, you're on this big cruise and you're on your way to the Bahamas. The destination is the Bahamas. You're going there. On the cruise, you have the authority and the right to do anything. You can go up to the third deck. You can go to the bottom deck. You can go eat the, uh, dinner at the fancy place where you sit at the table. You get the three courses. Or you can go eat on the deck by the pool. You can go get pizza. You have those freedoms to make those choices. But no matter even in all your different infinite amount of choices and freedoms, guess what? That ship is still going to end up at the Bahamas. You don't control the end because God does. That's a good example. Probably not totally perfect but I like the way he was going with. 
And then there's open theism. Open theism has the idea that God doesn't need to know with absolute certainty the future. Because he's God. So no matter what you choose, let's say Jaden had an infinite amount of choices. And B had an infinite amount of, infinite amount of choices. And those infinite amount of choices some kind of interact. No matter what those choices are, an infinite amount in the end, because God is God, he is over and supersedes all of those. So no matter what choice he makes that triggers this, that triggers that, that triggers this, that triggers that, that triggers this, that triggers that, triggers this, triggers that, triggers that, triggers that, triggers that, God is like, yep, uh-huh, yep, of course, yep, I got it, yep, got done, my will is done. The point is, God, and why I bring this up in John 18, because we're looking at, go back to John 18, we're looking at what the events that happened when Jesus was portrayed, when he went through this fake trial, when he was beat, when he was mocked, when he was put on a cross, when he was murdered. And I want us to think about, put yourself in that time, what was happening right then. It's a lot going on. We see things unfold on TV, we watch it, or in the news, we're like, oh man, what's gonna happen next? Or what's gonna happen next? You know, what, 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 what's up? And we, we, we get close to the TV and we, we watch the events. Sometimes we've been going through things that are shocking and amazing. What was happening this night was mind blowing. Disciples have been with Jesus. They've seen Jesus disappear out of crowds. They've seen Jesus heal people who couldn't walk. They've seen Jesus heal people who were blind. They've seen Jesus roll up on the Pharisees and the scribes and talk that talk to them in their face in bold sunlight and nothing happened to them. It was like, we roll with Jesus. Then all of a sudden, soldiers. Then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you get snatched up. All of a sudden, middle of the night, he's bound and dragged back to the city. In all of that, the point is that Jesus orchestrated the events of his betrayal, his capture, the corrupt trials, his beating, his mocking, and his murder. He orchestrated that. Why? Because he's God and he's sovereign. And he knows the beginning, the end from the beginning. Because he is who he is. And if Jesus, as we go through the meticulous details of what happened that night, I want you to continue to remember that. It's going to go from this message into the next one. Jesus orchestrated the events, all this bad stuff that was happening. He managed and orchestrated it because he's God. And if Jesus orchestrated the events of this night, the worst night ever, Know and understand that Jesus is orchestrating the events that go on in our life as well. So be brave. As Jesus said, as God said, be brave. Because I create the light and the darkness. I create the success and the chaos. And the disaster, I'm sorry, it's worse. The success and the disaster. I'm God. Every plan of mine will happen. What I will, will come forth. It's not an accident. It's intentional. It's deliberate. And he powerfully, excuse me, powerfully guided each second of the events that night in John 18, just as he is in charge. And he intentionally and deliberately and powerfully guides each second of the events of our lives because he's God. Now, the question is, how do I respond to that? God went through all that trouble of carving out the time for me, what I'm going through. 
carving out the boundaries of where I go and where I can't go. I'm trying to do this, but things aren't working out. This is, I'm trying, I really want, I, I, I did, I followed the rules. I got this degree, I did this, I did this, but I just can't. God said, I'm, I've cut out the boundaries. What does a boundary mean? You, you can't get over there. <laughs> I've cut it out already. I, I've mapped it out. So try as you must, I'm in charge. So my response to that is, you know what? Instead of me keep trying to get through the boundary, I can't get that God's will set up. Find out what God's will is. That way I can operate in the boundary and I can operate in the time. Why? Because I'm going to line up to his will. Okay, God, what do you want for me? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Why did you pick 1978, 305? Why? Why? What, what, what about this time in society and the world that I have been selected and ordained before the end, from the beginning, that I'm supposed to be here right now, right now? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? God, God, the God who can talk that talk. He didn't go through creating boundaries and times just so you can just walk around and just whatever happens in life happens in life. Girl, I'm just going to do my thing. Whatever. Listen, I'm just, you know, you know me. I'm not even. No. <laughs> There's a purpose. There's a reason of his will. And the question is for me to find out what his will is so that I can operate under the will of God. The problem is sometimes we fight against the will of God. We decide what we want to do. That's why he said, be brave. Don't be discouraged. Get anxious. Don't be anxious. That's why he says in scripture, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Why? Because I'm God. And I create the light and the darkness and I create success and the, and the, and the uh, uh, destruction. Disaster. Because I'm the one who do all this. So be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be stressed out for nothing. Why are you stressed out? You God? You, you the one that's running this thing? You Oh, you in charge. Okay, well, let me sit back here and watch you do it. Go ahead, God. Do your God thing. He said, no, don't be anxious. Don't be stressed out. Let me handle it because I'm handling it. We have to decide or make the decision in life where I'm going to allow God. And it's just crazy even to say that because we're talking about a God. But I'm going to line up under God because he's in charge. And when we don't, what we're saying is, forget you, creator of the darkness and creator of the light. Oh, you create success and disaster, whatever. You don't stress me. I'm not worried about that. You don't phase me. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live life the way I want to live life. And you, God, are going to be okay with it. Forget you. That's what we say when we step out of God's will. That's what we say when we don't line up with God's plans. That's what we say when we look at God's rules and how he says things should go and we do our own thing. God, what you going to do? During John 18, there was a lot of things happening. There was a lot of things going on. And I love the way it's set up. John 18 is set up in a narrative. So uh, uh, John, remember he wrote this. John said, I wrote these things so you believe that Jesus is Christ, Son of God, and believe you have life through his name. But when he gets to John chapter 18, he pretty much, takes, pretty much takes us and gives us like a front row seat to what happened that night. 
and he's amazingly detailed with the things that went on that night that Jesus endured. And I often wonder why. A lot of times you'll see Jesus say things, you know, I'm the sheep, uh, uh, you're my sheep, I'm the shepherd. And we can take that and we say, oh, we know why he said that because he wants us to say this, this, this. And he'll say things like I'm the door and, and you look through the scriptures and you see this miracle that he did and I can apply this miracle. But when he gets to John 18, it's just straight narrative. It's like I'm sitting down watching a movie. And what's cool about it is that this is a movie or, or it's a narrative that has different scenes. So in John 18, he's got two major scenes going on. They're happening at the same time, real time. But as John creates this narrative, he shows you what happened right after they snatched Jesus up. They bound him. We talked about it last week. And they brought him back to Jerusalem. That happened. And then as that was happening, they started to put him through these trials. As he was going through the trials, Peter was going through something else outside of where the trials were. And so what John does is he goes back and forth. If you look at John 18, he goes back and forth for what Jesus was going on. And then he switches scenes to what Peter was dealing with. Then he switches scenes and he comes back to what Jesus was going. And then he switches scenes, go back. I think of Star Wars, one of my favorite movies. You watch Star Wars, you know how they switch scenes. It'll be like a little, little thing go come across the screen like, and it'll be somewhere else. And then like this, it goes from left to right. So that's what's happening here. Okay? He, he's showing what happened with Jesus at the same time what was happening with um, Peter. Now, the, interest, the other interesting thing about this is that all, not all, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John talk about this night, what happened to Jesus that night. And so John doesn't record everything. <laughs> Peter, uh, 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 Matthew has some details that John doesn't mention. Luke has some details. So we'll go back and forth. But I really want to concentrate on what John said because we're going through the book of John. And for some reason, and I believe ordained by God, John left some things out and kept some things for a purpose. So the narrative, Jesus's trial and Peter's denial. So a couple of things you got to understand. When we're talking about what's going on. Now remember, the whole, the whole of this is that Jesus orchestrated deliberately, intentionally, and powerfully all the events that happened this night. They snatched him up. They brought him back. And Jesus went through effectively six different trials that night. Now, in Jewish history, Jesus was a Jew. They were in Jerusalem. These were Jews. In Jewish history, there's law. You got the law of Moses. And the law of Moses, because God wanted to know how, wanted his people to know how to govern themselves, he gave them rules and laws all the way up to what clothes you should wear, how you should cut your hair, especially how to interact with other people. And then when it came to trials and judge and convicting and killing people and giving them sentences, he was very specific on the things you had to be done. So you had the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders, and their job was to carry out the law. On the night that Jesus was snatched up and crucified, you have to understand this. There were 18 laws broken during those trials. 18. There were 18 specific laws that God said, when you try somebody, when you have a court case, do this. There were 18 different violations of God's law that the priests and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin did that evening. 18 violations. And we'll look at all of them. 
So Jesus, God said in the book of Moses, he said, listen, when you, whenever there's a trial, it has to be a fair trial. There's a group of people who are going to call them the Sanhedrin. Those were the highest religious court of that time. It was about 70 priests and then the high priest. That's what the Sanhedrin was. And so uh, think about um, court. So there's a main judge and then there were other judges. So uh, you would think mostly our court really doesn't do it. Uh, think about English. You've seen the English court and you seem like they all wearing the, the law thing. And it's like a whole bunch of them there with all of them got robes on. That's kind of like the scenario. It kind of like what it was. Okay. So we have that case. Jesus's case was a capital trial. They were trying to kill him. And so they were claiming that he did something that deserved death. Specifically to those type of trials, the Mosaic law had some rules that had to be done. I'll start with who was in charge. John 18. And I'm setting the stage. You say, oh, you're taking a long time to set the stage. Yeah, because I, I, want, you to, I, want, you to, I want you to see it. Got to get it before we get into it. You got to see what was going on that night. Uh, verse 18, um, chapter 18. Uh, let's see where to start. At, boom, 12. Then the company of soldiers, they snatched Jesus up. The company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Y'all remember that? Remember everybody was scared, and then the, the priest Caiaphas said, listen, it's better for one man to die for the people. We, we, we went over that. Let me explain to you the house of Annas. So, we have the Bible who tells us very specific things, but the Bible is also a historical book. There were things that was going on in history during that time. And there were people who documented history during that time. One of the main people who documented history during that time was a guy named Josephus. Okay, so we can look at Josephus and see some of the things that he said when he wrote what was going on. We have other documents. Annas was the priest, the Bible says a high priest. That's the first guy they took Jesus to. Um, I refer to Annas as La Costra Nostra. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that phrase. La Costra Nostra. That is what they call the New York crime mob from back in the day. Okay? There was a mafia. There was a mob. And they had a godfather. And the godfather, you've seen the movie The Godfather or Casino, all those movies out there. This is the mob situation. It's the family that ran everything. Everything. Crime was ran through them. When we look at Annas, we see that he was the godfather of what they called the house of Annas during that time. Now remember, he was a, he was a high priest. So, give you a little back, back, background. God's people, Jews, they sinned against God. God had enemies come in, take over, blah, blah, blah. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar kept going through history. They would repent. God would save them. They'd, go, they'd fall into sin again. God sent another country to come. Boom, 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 boom. That kept happening. That kept happening. That kept happening. During this time, they still had their priests. And remember when God set up the priesthood, it was priests were of the line of who? Anybody remember? Levites. They were Levites. Okay? So J Jacob had a bunch of sons. When the son was Levi, God said, that, okay, Levi, you are going to be my priests. Priests were the people who stood between God and man. Okay, so in the temple and the tabernacle, the priest would go into what was called the holies, holies. That's where God came down and he would ask forgiveness for the people. Okay, so the priest's responsibility was to be the go-between between humanity and God. And so God said, I'm specially selecting the Levites 
all descendants of Levi to be priests. So there were different jobs that the priests had, but then there was the high priest. So he chose Eliezer, who was the firstborn son of Levi, and he said, all your children will be the high priest, the, the, big, the big priest. And the rest of your brothers and sisters and cousins will be other priests who help out, okay? So God said that the priests will be priests until he dies. So first priest, we talk about the first priest, Aaron. Remember Aaron showed up? Moses, his brother, Moses was also from a tribe of Levi, so he could have been priest, but God said Aaron's going to be priest. Aaron was a priest until he died. Then Aaron's son became priest until he died. And then that guy became priest until he died. On and on and on. So even when Nebuchadnezzar came and all these Babylon and all these other Syrians came, the priesthood kept going through that line of Aaron, the line of Levi. Until they died, 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 until the Greeks showed up. The Greeks said, you know, this whole priest in charge of Jews thing, we don't like it. So we're going to kill this priest. Pew! And we're going to put our own guy as priest. So right before Jesus was born, the priesthood that kind of flowed as God set it up was ended. So now the priests were not really priests according to what Moses said, how God set it up. Then the Romans showed up. The Romans realized, okay, how did Jews work this? Remember what the Romans did. They used to come to your town. Hey, we're in charge. But we're going to let you do what you've been doing. So DeSantis, you can still be the governor, but just know you report to us. And if we hear anything crazy, we'll come down and kill all y'all. So chill. And they dip. That's how the Romans used to do it. So Romans came and said, okay, you Jews, what you got? You got this high priest thing? Okay, cool. Y'all can keep having this priest. Y'all can have your court. Y'all still do what you do. If anybody act up, we're going to come in and we'll kill all y'all, but we'll let y'all do that. What happened was the Romans used to put folks in charge of town. Remember in Luke chapter 2, uh, we talked about the, the census went out that all men should be uh, uh, attacked. So everybody went back and Joseph and Mary went. That went out by a guy named Serenius, Luke chapter 2. Serenius was the guy that the Romans put in charge of that area. So what would happen was the Romans would put the guy in charge. The guy in charge would come up and say, okay, who's, who's priest? Ah, uh, I don't like you. You're not cool enough. Let's get another priest. And some folks and Jews would be like, hey, uh, you let me be priest. I'll give you $100,000. And Cyrenius was like, okay, cool. And so what happened was the priesthood began to be, instead of that Long history, God choosing these people that follow God's rule. What happened was the priesthood began to be began to be a political thing of the rich and famous. And I could buy myself to become the priest. Think about that. The high priest. It was now who had the most money to become high priest. This is the scene that Jesus grew up on. You want to know why Jesus used to get at these guys so much, the priests and the Pharisees? Because this was fake. None of this stuff was how God intended it. So what happened was, now we have high priests who weren't from the line of Levi, who were rich folks in the community who had paid enough and bribed the Romans so they could be high priests. And as a new Roman guy came, he would go meet the high priest and like, yeah, I think we can work together. Keep him. Eh, I don't think we can work together. You're fired. High priest is open. Highest bidder. Who wants to be high priest? So that happened one, two, three, four, five times before we get here. So Annas was the one who became priest around 6 AD. So right when Jesus was born, he was a high priest. But it talks about that Annas was rich. He was stupid rich. He had enough money to buy his priesthood, and now he was in charge. 
He ran this thing so tight that after him, the next five priests were his sons. And the sixth one was his son-in-law. So he had set up. He had it on lock. He had this whole priesthood thing on lock. What Annas used to do was, and he, like I said, he was a godfather. He used to do a couple of things. High priest was in charge of the temple. They used to call him the Booths of Annas. So when I came to the temple, I'm supposed, the Bible says, I'm supposed to bring a lamb that's spotless. So Annas set up a system. As I come with my lamb, they had to check it. The temple priest had to check it. And so they would come with the lamb, and the temple priest, I'm looking for something like a lamb. I was going to grab the dog, but there's a lamb behind me. Let's see. Where's the lamb? We'll, we'll go with this. We got a lamb. So I would bring my lamb to the temple to sacrifice for my family. God said, for me, the sins of my family, I have to bring a lamb every year. So I come with the lamb. I make sure it's spotless, good. I bring it. So I come to the priest. Priest, here I am with my lamb to sacrifice for my family. Priest said, cool, let me check and look at it. Oh, man. <laughs> look at all these spots on this lamb. Sir, there's no spots on the lamb. No, these are, no God's not going to accept this one. This got spots on it. So uh, I tell you what. I'll buy this from you for uh, 10 bucks. I'll buy it from you because you can't do nothing with it. I'll buy this from you. But thankfully, we've got some good lambs here. Now, these lambs are uh, $250. So you can buy this good lamb that's already checked out. You, you came from so far, you might as well buy the lamb. So they, they buy the $250 lamb and go sacrifice. They would take the lamb they just gave $10 for, go put it back over here. They were running a scam where they were stealing the animals from the people, pushing these animals on them, upshooting the price hundreds of dollars more than they were worth, taking that money and pocketing it. Not only that, they have money exchangers. So Jews were across all the planet, right? So if I'm a Spanish Jew and I came from Spain, I got Spain money in my pocket. So we had to come to the temple. So I'm coming to the temple. I pay my temple tax, you know, give my honor, my offering to God. I come with my Spanish money. Here you go. Uh, we're going to give our tithes and offerings. Here's $100 from what we got. And they were like, oh, man, we don't take that here. You need to go find you a, 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 a converter, a money changer. Matter of fact, we got one right here. Go, go see my other priest. They were like, okay, hey, what you got? You got $100? Oh, right now the exchange rate is 100 to 100. So for every dollar you give me, I give you a penny. So you're going to have to give me $1,000 of your money to get $1 temple money back. And you need $100 of temple money to give your offering. So I'm going to need that 10 grand. And the people who are worshiping God, who follow the law of Moses, okay, well, I don't know how I'm going to get back. Here's 10 grand. Here you go. Here's $100. Go give your offering. And they would take that money and they would pocket it. The other thing they would do is the Moses law. Moses said whenever the woman would have a child, they would come to the uh, bring their child to the temple for blessings. And they also bring an offering to God. Thank you, God, for this child. And the offering, they said, you don't have to be big. You don't have to be a lamb. It could be even two turtle doves, something small. But again, it had to be spotless. And so they would bring the two turtle doves, and then the priests would be like, yeah, yeah, we can't accept those here. We need the Egyptian Arabic turtle doves. So I'll tell you what, we'll buy those from you for five cents. 
and thank you. And you can buy some of our turtle doves here that we have just for pregnant women who just had baby turtle doves. They have $250 also, just like the lamb. And then the women who had to honor God would have to buy the $250 turtle doves. They would take the turtle doves they just bought a dollar for, put them back here. These were the priests. This was happening on in God's temple. You know what Jesus did when he walked in and he saw that? <laughs> See, he didn't walk in and flip it. They told us when I was little that Jesus was mad because they were selling stuff in the temple. I wonder why he was mad. <laughs> he didn't have no problem with them selling stuff in the temple. He had a problem with the crooked, evil, conniving, mob life, mob type, deception, deceit, and the robbing. That's why he said, you turn my father's house into a den of thieves and robbers because they were robbing the people. Jesus, by the way, went in the temple twice and turned everything upside down. He was messing with Annas' pockets. Who does, who does this dude think he is? Where he from? From Nazareth? And think about your mom movies. Who? Who blew, who went to my spot and took all my money? Jesus? Oh, he's got to die. And remember what he said when, and, and when we looked at uh, uh, Lazarus? He said, as soon as Jesus raised from the dead, he said, okay, we, we got it. We got to kill this dude. Because of what he was doing. He was messing up that system. This is the first person they brought Jesus to. So what happened was Annas, you see in the Bible, you say, wait a minute, it says Annas was a high priest. And you say Caiaphas was a high priest. Well, Caiaphas was Annas' son-in-law. And the Jews always looked at Annas as the high priest. So when Annas was not the high priest anymore, Annas' son was a high priest. But guess who was still in charge? The godfather, Annas. And when his, when his second son became high priest, guess who was still in charge? Annas. And when the guy right down to the fifth one, guess who was still in charge, for real, for real, from the people? It was Annas. And so the first person they brought Jesus to that night was Annas' house. In the middle of the night to try this man for murder. And the last thing I'm going to do, I'm going to read just the violations so far. The Jewish law says that No legal proceedings can take place at night. This was middle of the night. The Jewish law says no type of capital offenses, murder trials, can be tried the night before Passover. It was the night before Passover. The Jewish, the Mosaic law says that you have to have three or more witnesses to take someone to the court. And if you don't have any witness, you can't take the person to court. They had no witnesses. Jewish law says you can't directly ask the person that's up for murder any questions. You can only talk to the witnesses. Their first questions were straight to Jesus. The Jewish Mosaic law says that if I'm up for murder, I have to have a friend in court with me. The Bible says he was by himself. That's just... Four of the 18 that we're going to look at. I wanted to set the stage of what Jesus was walking into. Annas, the Godfather. He'd been secretly underground running everything for the past 30 years. His son and his son and his son and his son-in-law were, were taking high priest, but he was in charge. Jesus had messed up his money. They, they, they had a lot. 
The Moses law said you had to bring your lamb and you had to bring your turtle dove and you had to bring your money. Corruption. Politics. Jesus standing there by himself that night. We're going to get this dude. We're going to kill him dead. In all of that, they thought they were in charge. And it's just new sit back. Godfather got him. But little did he know that in all this, God was orchestrating deliberately, intentionally, and powerfully everything that happened in the night because he is God. Father, we thank you, God, for your sovereignty. We thank you, God, that your word tells us that you're in charge. Things that happen in our life tells us that we're not in charge, but you are. We see your blessings. We see your goodness. We see your mercy. We know, God, where we could have been, those of us who are old. We know that the decisions that we've made and where we should have been today. But your goodness and your mercy and, and your controlling of knowing the end from the beginning and your controlling the light and the darkness and the success and the disaster and you being God and your will will always be taken in place, God. All those things we see and we understand. But at times, God, when we don't obey, when we don't line up, when we get stressed out, we get anxious, and we temporarily forget who you are, God. I pray, God, that you will remind us and that we won't forget. I pray, God, that we who follow you will be brave. Those nights when the sorrow hits, those nights when we get anxious, those nights when the pain comes back, God, let us remember. Let's call to remembrance, as you said, and be brave because you have carved out the time and have carved out the boundaries of every single thing that we've been through, God. And you've orchestrated, we've had our hand on our lives, God. I pray, God, that we will be obedient to you. Why? Because you're God. It's just that simple. Not try to fight it, not try to go against, not try to do our own thing, God, but that we will line up under the authority that you clearly have being who you are. I pray, God, as we continue to look at 18, God, and see all those things that you went through for us. The pain and the mockery and the persecution that you went through for our salvation. And as we're about to take communion right now, God, to remember and to call to mind what you did for us by you dying for us. After going through all those things, allowing them to kill you, allowing them to beat you, and raising again on third day, God. We pray that we will live life that's honor and pleasing unto you. God, we thank you in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen.